Open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 4. Just a couple of quick words as your pastor. A couple of things I want to see happen when we're singing together. One, I want us to see us singing together. And I, I appreciate that so much. When I hear the congregation's voices, I think that's just pleasing to God that we join our voices together. Even as we sing sometimes new songs, what I hope is happening is that we're thinking about the words. We're not thinking about, hey, I don't know if I've heard this before. I don't know if I know it all, but just focused on the words. We'll, we'll get that. We'll learn the words. And I know sometimes on some of the songs we even sit down, uh, I think sometimes that's good because it helps us to think a little bit more. And I think also even for some of our senior adults, they, do, they enjoy see, seating, uh, being seated every once in a while too. So thank you for worshiping together as a church family. Usually when we think about talking of family, we think about a family prays together or a family plays together, maybe even a family eats together. Probably we don't like to think too publicly about a family fights together. But although we should be thinking of these other things, a family prays together, plays together, and eats together, Let's add in that realism this morning that all families do fight together. There's not a family in this room this morning that there's not some arguing, some fussing, there's some complaining, some differences of opinion. We can make it sound as proper as we want, and of course we can go the opposite direction of that as well. And so this morning I want to ask you, if you would, to stand with me as we read Genesis 4. My goal is that we're going to read out loud together all 11 chapters of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And so this morning, chapter 4. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. 
When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methusael, and Methusael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we turn now to your word, we know that this is how you have revealed yourself. This is how you have revealed your plan for all of humankind. And we pray that we might not take your word lightly. Even as we've stood today for the reading of your word, we want you to know we reverence you, what you think, and what you say. And we pray that as we try to better understand this text this morning, that you'll give us clarity and understanding so that we can be the people that you'd have us to be. Father, we know there are a lot of families, all of our families, who've gathered here in this one family. We know that they all, all of us struggle from day to day, from time to time. Speak to us through this passage so that we can grow to become more of what you put us here on earth to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A family that fights together. The, the first question I would ask you this morning is, what's wrong with your family? Now, I know that's taking a lot for granted, right? You might say, wait a minute, Rodney, you're assuming a lot to say what's wrong with your family. But I know you grew up in a family with problems. I know you now live and exist in a family with problems. Those come out in different ways, arguments, disagreements, selfishness, misunderstanding, laziness, control, insensitivity, mistreatment. I mean, we could go through the line of things that probably happened at your house and my house this week. It's, bottom line, the effect of sin. Children probably, at some point this last week, asked themselves, why do my parents argue so much? Or why do they get angry with me? Maybe it was parents who were questioning, wondering, why can't my kids just get along? Why can't they just do what I tell them? Why can't they just obey me? Spouses may have thought this week, why can't my spouse just do it the way I want them to do it? Why can't they just change to be more of what I want them to be? Again, it's it's the effects of sin, and that's where we are in Genesis chapter 4. We just saw this ugly, horrible, no good day take place in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. God had given Adam and Eve so much freedom to eat of all the trees and the fruit of the garden, but not that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
But they sinned. Adam and Eve sinned, and we entered into that sin. They represent all of humanity. And if somehow, as we said last week, you feel like, well, if I'd have been there, I wouldn't have sinned. Think about, at that point, Adam was one of the, uh, was one of the top-notch creations. <laughs> he was thinking as clearly as any of us. He had never been corrupted by sin. And so we all, along with Adam, not only sinned, but we continue it. We prove it. It's not like I wouldn't have. We do it every day. We've shown that we're in the line of Adam. We're all a part of the human race. Sometimes we get caught up in, in how uh, all the races are a part of the earth. I, I don't even really like to use the word race because there's only one and it comes from Adam. And as a result of that, we're all in this together. We're all in the same human family. We're all of the same race from Adam. And of course, it will start over with no. We all come from that line and God sees us equally. There, there are no more important people than others based on any kind of human merit. We're all equal at the foot of the cross, so to speak. But here we see the entire human race fail in Adam. That's the problem. That's what's wrong at your house. Sin has infected you and every person in your house. You have a sin problem. Now, what I want to hopefully say to you today is that your biggest sin problem is not the other people living in your house. Your biggest sin problem is you. Now, again, I know that may be hard to absorb in some exceptional cases when some people have done some uh, unusual, extraordinary things outside of the will of God. Yes, they may create a lot more of the difficulty in that moment, but the normal Human issues that we face in our houses as husbands and wives, as parents, as children, result from the fact that I am a sinner. The fact that you are a sinner. The flesh, once sin entered in, became inclined towards sin and selfishness, and that's where we live. So as a family, how are we going to learn how to live together? How to be the people that God's put us here on earth to be? Well, first... I want you to think with me, fight against sin, not each other. Fight against sin and not each other. When you go back to Genesis chapter 4, in verse 1, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. A few things I think we can see here. One, marriage is good. God meant for there to be marriage. God defined it, one man, one woman. God blessed it. God said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, cleave to his wife, and they'll become one. And it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Marriage is good. No matter what the world may say about it, no matter how the world may try to uh, redefine it, God's already defined it, and he's blessed it, and said, this is what my intention is for marriage, and it's a good thing. Adam and Eve are enjoying that part of marriage, even in a corrupt world, even though sin has entered in. There's an intimacy that God gives in marriage that's a blessing and that enables us to continue the human race. And so this marriage is good, and, and then parenting is good. Not everyone is able to have kids. Those who get married typically do have kids for some reason. Because we live in a fallen world, there, there are problems that, that just get attached to that. And we, we think with and we sympathize and we have compassion. But for the most part, 
Most have children when they get married, and I want you to hear that again. Having children is a good thing. God meant for that to be. It's a part of God's design. And I love the emphasis in the Bible on conception, and she conceived. I think those of us who have been staunch supporters of the pro-life movement, one of the reasons that we say from conception is because we know that everything necessary for that child to live has been placed within that fertilized egg at that moment. All those chromosomes are already there for that child to live. And so there's a biblical emphasis on conception. And so we as followers of Christ, we emphasize that too. And of course, uh, the entire time in the womb, this baby is growing. And so parenting is a good thing from conception. And she bore Cain. She noted that that was a gift from God. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And then verse 2 we see his brother born, Abel. Some say they were twins. Now, I don't think there's anything in the text to indicate that. There's nothing really to say that that's not the case. But Cain was born first, and then Abel came later. How, how later, we, we don't really know. But siblings are good. It's God's way of shaping us. Some of you were the firstborn in your children, in your family. God shaped you a certain way because of that. Some of you are middleborn. Some of you are lastborn. God shapes us in our families. He uses that according to his sovereign purposes, not only genetically from mom and dad, but also environmentally from the kind of family that we grow up in. Now, it can be tougher than what it was meant to be, right? Why? Because sin entered into the world. It always comes back to that. Why are things harder? Why are things bad? Why do bad things happen? It always comes back to Genesis chapter 3. That's our biblical worldview. And God takes even those bad things so that we come to the end of ourselves and realize there's only one way, and that's up to him and our relationship with him. But, but siblings are good, and, and God makes us all differently, not only genetically, not only birth order, but our preferences and our callings. And we see that with Cain and Abel. Cain uh, enjoyed working in the field. Abel was, a, Abel was a keeper of the sheep. They were different. They were not the same. And parents have to parent their children differently because they're not all the same. Sometimes kids don't get that. But every child is different, and we parent according to that child, as opposed to just one broad brushstroke. Now, there's some general principles we apply to every one of them, but we parent them differently because they are different. God made them different, and it appears that Adam and Eve are bringing them up, or teaching them and training them. I I love that because that's that's the parent's primary job with children. They're the primary disciple makers. Sometimes we like to farm that out. Well, we're going to send them to the school to get that, even a, a Christian school to get that. We're going to send them to Sunday school for that. We're going to uh, send them to Gopher Buddies for that. We love to partner with you at church, and we have some wonderful leaders in all of our children's and students' uh, activities and ministries, but none of them could ever replace mom and dad. It's mom and dad's primary responsibility to disciple their kids. And I think Adam and Eve are doing that. They're teaching them so that when Cain and Abel are young men and they're, they're bringing these offerings to God, it, it's evidence that they had been taught, that they had been discipled, that they were being brought up. God intended it to be that way. 
Well, why didn't God accept Cain's offering? That's a big question, isn't it? Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. I think there are probably two pretty big schools of thought as to why God had no regard, why God didn't accept or approve of Cain's offering. One large thought, and sometimes I waffle back and, to, back and forth between these thoughts, one is that Cain didn't bring a blood sacrifice. It would have required more. He would have had to go to his brother and either purchase one or trade for one in some sort or the other because he was the keeper of the field. He, was, he would have had the vegetables and the fruits. And we look back at Adam and Eve and God made skins and we think, okay, that was the blood sacrifice. And so God was requiring a blood sacrifice. Now, again, the text doesn't tell us. We're just surmising because we see that pattern develop early on and then it is a part of the codified law as we get to Exodus that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. And so you can make a pretty strong case for that. I've probably leaned a little more in the other direction to say it wasn't so much about what he brought in that moment, it was how he brought it. You see, sometimes we get to that even in our own worship, don't we? It's not so much about what we sing, it's how we sing it, right? I mean, I can sing an ancient hymn, an old hymn, or a modern hymn, and it's not so much what I'm singing, as long as it's biblically correct, it's how I'm singing it. Am I singing it unto God or not? And so even in Cain and Abel's situation, it's interesting because it does seem to indicate from the text that Cain brought an offering. He didn't bring his first fruits, did he? He just brought to the Lord an offering in verse 3 as opposed to verse 4. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So regardless of which direction we go, there's disobedience with Cain. He's, he doesn't have his heart into this. He's not doing this as unto the Lord. He's pretty much just going through the motions of this. And therefore, a warning for us today, it's pretty easy to go through the motions of coming to church Sunday after Sunday, year after year, and really no heart connection taking place where there's a relationship with God and I'm giving God an offering. You see, there's always that danger that gathering together becomes more about observing and almost being entertained as opposed to what I'm giving and offering unto God. Our worship services are an offering of praise and honor to our great God. When we come, it's not coming to get, it's coming to give. Now, I believe when we come to give that God does a lot of other things in our lives. He transforms us. When we worship God, he transforms us. He changes us. When we submit and surrender as an act of worship to his word, he teaches us, he rebukes us, he corrects us, he trains us in righteousness. He does a lot out of that, but it comes back to the heart. Where is our heart when we come to worship? So even on your way to church, I would encourage you to pray. God, prepare my heart for worship today. 
When you come in, I love greeting people. I, I love the fellowship. I, I was at the door today and somebody said, you're pulling double duty. I, I just love to see people come into God's house. I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing that God designed that we would come together, that we'd fellowship together. And then as we worship together, there's this focus that turns upward toward God that is an offering of praise and worship. And it's a heart thing and Cain's heart was not there. So I, again, I, I think it was more of a reflection of Cain's heart. So Cain was going through the motions. It, it appears as we read into the text that maybe there wasn't that much love for God as much as going through the motions. And then his anger demonstrates his heart issues when he is not approved when his offering is not received. When it has no regard, Cain was very angry. Isn't it funny when people who are oftentimes in the wrong, how that when they get called out, they get angry? You'd think, oh man, thank you for pointing that out. Or thank you for helping me. Thank you for those wonderful words. Well, we could go down that path, I guess. But at least there should have been some humility. I mean, here's God approaching him, Right? This is not even a brother or a sister in Christ uh, or in the family. This is God himself who's coming to Cain. And, and, and Cain was very angry that God didn't accept his offering. And the Lord called him out. Why are you angry? You see, sometimes it's funny how that people who get angry real easily, it's always about somebody else, isn't it? Well, if you do this and you wouldn't have done that and you said this and you made me and... And that's not really the problem with your anger, is it? What's the problem with your anger? It's, it's you. That's the problem with your anger. And God said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you're doing the right... God, God is saying, Cain, take care of yourself. You do what's right. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Isn't it more important to be accepted by God than anybody else? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. This picture of a lion, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Even from the beginning, God was calling Cain out to rule over his anger. Now, some of your anger comes out in different ways. Some of you are the way, some of you express your anger by blowing up, right? I mean, initially, you let it out. Everybody around you is going to know what you think and what you feel. Others show their anger by shutting down. Now, I'm not judging which way is better and which way is not. I'm saying they're both wrong, <laughs> Whether you blow up, whether you shut down and you use your anger to hurt someone, to manipulate someone, to get what you want, to control others, then you are in the wrong. Whatever way that anger comes out, and Cain is being called out for that. God's saying, you got to rule over that. Now the fact of the matter is, Cain would never be able to get his hands around that himself. He would need the help of God. All of us. Again, an instance where, where Cain could have humbled himself before God and said, God, help me. I don't want to keep going down this path. But instead, you see his rebellious nature come out all the more. 
Verse 8, Cain spoke, spoke to his brother when they were in the field. Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. He just kept going down that line. And so let me make this statement to you. The greatest fight we fight is within ourselves. It's not against the devil. It's not against your spouse. It's not against your kids. It's not against your employer. It's against yourself. Sin leads us to justify and rationalize our wrongful actions and attitudes. It leads us to criticize and even crucify God himself. Now think about that. Sin led to the very crucifixion of Jesus. And that's where sin takes us. Now thank God Jesus was willing to offer himself to pay for our sin. But look at the result of sin, the the penalty of sin, the pain of sin. And what happens is that relationships expose our hearts. Cain's anger said more about him than it did about God or even Abel. And his anger, unless controlled or ruled over, would lead to devastating consequences. So God is telling Cain, fight against it. You must rule over it. Fight against sin, not each other. In your marriage, quit fighting against each other. In your parenting, quit fighting against uh, your your kids. And, And kids, quit fighting against your parents. Parents, know that when your kids disobey you, that's one more opportunity that God's given you to teach them about their sin and about their need for a Savior. It's not an opportunity just to let them have it, to make them pay because they've been inconvenient in that moment. It's an opportunity to teach them about their sin and why they need a Savior and how Jesus is able to help them. And of course, all of this is still pointing to the need that a a Savior is coming. Just like God told Eve uh, that from her seed, one would come who would crush the head of the serpent. So we, we see Eve maybe even anticipating that this first child is going to be that seed. And of course, time and time again, we see whatever, whoever arose, they were inadequate. This person was imperfect. This person failed. This person could not be a, a sacrificial lamb. Only Jesus would be that person. So again, as we come back to this offering and think even about Abel's offering, Abel is right with God. It seems as if he is, he's bringing his best. His heart is right with God and we get New Testament affirmation of that. Now think with me in Hebrews chapter 11. Remember without faith it's impossible to please God. This is I'm trusting God with what he's doing I believe him. I trust his word. Faith is believing God is good even in a fallen world. Faith is trusting God even when the enemy is lying about God. Faith is obedience even when the world is going in a completely opposite direction. Faith is saying no to yourself even when your feelings are not in agreement. I I don't know what all Abel was feeling. I I believe that when someone grows in their faith, their feelings begin to turn more toward the things of God and God changes their hearts. That doesn't mean at times they don't have wrong feelings and they're not not being deceived by the enemy and they're not being confused by their own uh, indwelling sin. But I believe there's more of a pattern that our feelings begin to grow more in the direction of God the more our faith grows in God. 
And so we think about faith this morning. Your feelings at time are going to tell you, act in this way. Treat this person that way. Show your anger. Get what you want. And it's going to come back again to a matter of faith. Are you going to trust God? Now, you know our congregational memory verse, Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. So I want you to look there with me. Uh, It's on the screen. And for those who are new, you'll see my part, your part, and our part laid out here. We're asking our families to memorize this together. So let's read this responsively, though, this morning. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith is trusting God. You may not see it. You may not feel it. But you know God said it, so you're going to obey it. You're going to walk with him. And and this is the kind of faith Abel had in Hebrews 11, verse 4. Listen, by faith, Abel, he's the first on the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I like that in the terms of obedience to God and faith, even if it kills you, it has eternal good, right? But if you don't act in faith, it's going to kill you anyway, and it has eternal consequences as well. Fight. Don't fight with each other. Fight against sin. Secondly, fight for approval from God, not gratification for self. You, you see where Abel, excuse me, Cain's emotions and feelings and desires got the best of him. If you will fight for the approval of God and not the gratification for self, it'll change your life and it'll change your family. I'll say to you, following your feelings may feel good for a time, but in time, following your feelings will bring much pain. Sin medicates, but eventually it suffocates. Many people today are making choices that are contrary to the very word of God that in the moment, I can't be happy unless I do this. I want this terribly. And their flesh is crying out for that sin, that thing. Not knowing that will never bring them happiness. But it will actually bring destruction and ruin in their lives and the people around them. Fight for approval from God. Sometimes it is, a, it is a fight. Sometimes it is very painful. But know the long-term benefits are far greater than the long-term consequences of the gratification for self. Again, we have Cain killing his brother. And the Lord, verse 9, said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Again, it's almost, you're seeing the patience of God. Chance. Here's a chance to repent. Here's a chance to own your sin. Here's a chance to humble yourself. And in each chance, 
Cain's heart just seems to grow harder and colder. And the more we say no to God, the more hard and cold our hearts grow. And sin medicates because it makes us feel good. I'm sure in the moment Cain felt good taking out his vengeance on his brother. But as he looked back on that, it sucked all of his life out of him. It was the eternal consequences that he should have been thinking about rather than the immediate gratification. And because God is good, there's some common grace here. God gives him a chance to not be killed. I mean, that, that, that in of itself, not to die in the moment. Sometimes people say, well, why does God give people chance after chance? Well, God is patient. Some of you are here today and you've been thinking about following Christ for a long time and God's been patient with you and giving you another opportunity today for that. God is patient with Cain and you see that he lets his line continue on and God even allows Cain to get married. Cain knew his wife. Again, it's common grace. God allows us to live our lives out whether we are people of faith or whether we're not, whether we're following Christ or whether we're not. and There's a common goodness. Some people mistake that for, you see, it doesn't really matter what you do. And that's wrong. Common grace is that God is giving us opportunity after opportunity. And I'm not exactly sure what woman stepped up to volunteer to marry Cain here. I mean, he's not exactly the guy everybody was after for a husband, I don't think. Where, where did Cain's wife come from? Well, I think it's a fairly easy answer. It had to be one of his sisters. who would say, well, wow, that's, that's gross. How could that possibly happen? But how else would it happen? We come from one man, one woman. There had to be propagation within the family. Now, we do know that as time went on, the genes became more and more corrupt. And so as the genes became more corrupt, the more problems in childbearing and even with the children it would have raised. And so God outlawed those kinds of close marriages. Until the human race was able to move out and to begin, that's where it did happen. But by the time that God has given the law at Mount Sinai, God says, no, that, that cannot be, that will no longer be the case in close relationships like that. We do know that Adam and, Eve had, Adam and Eve had a bunch of children. We don't know what order, but you'll notice on, in chapter 5 and verse 4, the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. So, I mean, 930 years, a lot of kids. He had other sons and daughters. So, you know, there were a lot of kids that were coming through. You think about, and I, I think about my own family. My own family seems kind of big now, but it's small relative to probably... 30, 40, maybe 50, 60 years ago. But, you know, I've had four kids. Now they're all married. Now we have 11 grandkids. You see how it just kind of snowballs right there, right? Some of you have more than that. You, you've seen it snowball in and, and just one small lifetime. Much less, man, just think if we had 900 years, wow, we could, we could have a bunch of kids and grandkids. Well, another thing we see in the text is that Lamech, in this line of Cain, Cain didn't have a lot of godly influence. And even though common grace is given and we see a lot of wonderful things happening as society grows and things uh, make progress, we see Lamech, one of his descendants, have two wives. 
And some people would say, well, is polygamy acceptable to God? And of course, there's an easy answer for that too. Uh, Of course not. Uh, God never intended for it to be that way. God made one man, one woman. If he thought it would have been a good thing, he would have made multiples in that uh, arrangement. But God made one man, one woman, and we see that play out. And anytime you see someone have more than one wife, you see uh, terrible consequences to that. And again, just like Cain wasn't exactly the guy everybody was after to marry, Lamech, if, if we're going to say polygamy is okay, he's not exactly the poster child that everybody wants to be like either. He's a pretty mean guy. He, he talks about Cain and looks at his sin and he seems to have no problems with it. Verse 24, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And he talks about his own murders, how he had killed people. So he, he's not exactly a nice guy. But obviously, not only do we find one man, one woman in Genesis, we find Jesus saying the same thing in the Gospels in Matthew 19, and we see the same thing for those who are going to be church leaders, that they're looking for men who are one woman kind of men, not polygamist. You see, God defined marriage, one man, one woman. Any other arrangement, any other combination is not appropriate, it's not biblical, and it's an offering that's not acceptable to God. And it doesn't matter who gets mad about that, angry about that, we come back to the Word of God. Well, fight for approval from God, not gratification for self. Third, fight with help from God, not with lies of the enemy. You know, I love the fact that when Eve had this next child, she said, God has appointed for me another offspring. I I love Eve's involvement here. Adam and Eve, they conceived, bore another son named Seth. See, God is sovereign and has a plan. And we continue to see his plan unfold. God's not done yet. There's, there's a Savior coming, and so there had to be another line. Seth becomes that line. God uh, is going to work out his plan. Eve trusted God, and Cain wasn't the person. Abel wasn't the person. Seth isn't going to be the Savior, but he will have the line that will lead us to the Savior. And when you look back in Luke chapter 3, you see that laid out. It's traced back from Joseph that he goes all the way back, and from Mary all the way back to Seth who was a son of Adam, who was a son of God. We see the historicity of these people and how they're a part of the line of of Jesus. God is sovereign and he has a plan. Fight with the help from God. Know that God has a plan. Know that God is sovereign. Not letting the enemy come in and say, there is not a God. God couldn't be in control of all of this. But then also God is gracious and hears our prayers. The enemy's trying to lie to you about everything. What you should do, how you should do it, how you should treat people, what they deserve. God is gracious and he hears our prayers. Fight with the help of God. There's no better help that we could have than through prayer, the help of God. We were made to know him and walk with him and enjoy him. And you see that in verse 26. At that time, after Seth had had Enosh, that line was continued. People began to call upon the name of the Lord. They began to know that they needed the help of God to walk with him and to know him. And we need his help in our relationships as well. God will lie to you about your spouse. God will lie to you about your kids. God will lie. Uh, The devil will lie to you about your spouse. (laughs) If anybody wants to take that little clip and use it against me, I mean, you, <laughs> uh, 
The devil will lie, not God. Listen to the whole clip. Um, The devil will lie about your spouse. The devil will lie about your kids. The devil will lie about your parents. Fight with help from God, not with the lies of the enemy. Most are fighting the wrong battle. Most are fighting the wrong battle because they're fighting each other. And that's going to lead to bad things. They're saying, if my spouse, my child, or my circumstance would only change, I would be happy. But in reality, what we should be saying, if I allow God to change my heart, I will be happy. And my happiness will be in Him. And that's the only place that my happiness will be lasting and fruitful and beneficial, not only to me, but to all of those around me. God's work. When we begin to let God change us in our hearts and let him work on me instead of me working on everybody else, then it's going to change families. It's going to change churches. It's going to change whole cities. In a moment, we're going to sing a hymn. And in that hymn, for this morning, we want you to think about the words of this song. Now, that may mean that some of you need to cluster up together where you're seated as a family, as a couple, and pray. Some of you, you come to the altar and do that. We're going to ask you to to just meditate on the words and what God has said to you today from Genesis chapter 4 and and do business with Him. Some Some of our students, some of our children need to apologize to their parents. Some parents need to apologize to kids. Some wives need to apologize to their husbands. And some husbands need to apologize to their wives. And we need to come together and instead of fighting against each other, fight against sin. And then watch what God does. Soon we will return to more of an invitation where we have pastors who are here. The numbers are coming down. Isn't that neat to watch that happen? But for today, ask God what he wants you to do in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace. Just like you showed grace to Adam and Eve, you showed grace to Cain. And I pray that you'll show that same grace to us today and that we'll not let it be for nothing, but that we'd let it have its impact in our hearts and lives this morning. Do in us what only you can do. Change our hearts. Do your work in in me today. Lord, we want to be pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.